Hi, I'm Barbara, compulsive overeater, and it is really an honor and a pleasure to be here in Beverly Hills, <coughs> the land of the rich and the famous, and, <laughs> and I want to start with a prayer that really provides me with a lot of guidance when I'm feeling really nervous, and I am for some reason, oops, got my hand on the microphone, and <laughs> that is... God, I pray you put the words in my mouth I need to say to please both me and you. May the words in my mouth and the spirit of my heart be acceptable to you, dear Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. And I use that prayer when I go into any situation, when I remember before I go into any situation, when I'm really feeling shaky and I don't know what to say. And so what I'm about to share with you is coming from... That the Spirit of God, because that's what I found when I came to this program. I didn't know when I came here what my real problem was. I didn't know that it was because I was empty on the inside and that what I was doing was filling myself up with food. Once I started eating, I couldn't stop. My top weight to qualify was 189 pounds. And I didn't have a history of obesity as a child. I was a kid that was a normal weight until I was about 15 years old and like the switch was turned on and I couldn't stop eating. And it was preceded by two or three years of really pretty erratic, very periodic binges, but I didn't identify it as that. And because I was growing so fast, um, it didn't really manifest itself in any kind of a weight gain. And always being very self-conscious and having really low, low self-esteem, I was always looking around me at what everybody else was doing and what they looked like. And, in fact, I have one recollection. I was taking horseback riding lessons. I was 13. And for some strange reason, I started in the hope with a new, um, a new stable, and the, they wanted to weigh all of the kids. And it was a group lesson with about a half a dozen kids. And before they chose our mounts, and there was no one that was abnormally overweight in this group of kids, they asked each one of us, <coughs> excuse me, what we weighed. And one of my friends, she was standing right in front of me, and they, they, she announced what her weight was, and I think I was two pounds heavier than her, and my self-esteem just plummeted to the ground because of two pounds. So that's kind of the thinking that I've always come from which is comparing myself to you and knowing that I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. So coming to this program, I came here at the age of 20. I just turned 25, and I felt like I was the oldest person on the planet. And that wasn't because of my weight. It was because of my thinking. And it was because of how I felt on the inside that I could never measure up, and I wasn't good enough. And I didn't know how to deal with life on life's terms, as we say here. I really didn't know how, what to do, what to say, where to go, any of that. And I didn't understand why, like, I felt like, okay, I'm a college graduate. I was on the honor roll. I've traveled around the world. I, I've got a great job out of college. And it didn't fill me up. Nothing could fill me up. Until I came here, and for the very first time in my life, I felt comfortable with people that didn't look like me, didn't sound like me, I didn't relate to what they said, but there was something that came from the inside of everyone that spoke to me. And what I got from the very beginning was the language of love and 
it all came from the heart. It was really the language of the heart and the language of love. And that's what I've learned in this program. And what it allowed me to do was to do the impossible, the absolutely, totally impossible, which was to lose my weight and to keep it off. I came here in 1975. I'm 67 years old. I've been here a long time. And I really didn't believe that it was a possibility to lose my weight. And certainly keeping it off was beyond anything that I could ever, ever imagine. And the first meeting that I went to, when I walked in, I looked over to that table and I went, oh, my God, they're serving coffee and tea. We haven't done that in meetings in, what, 25 or 30 years. We let go of it, along with shortening meetings, because the meetings used to be two hours long. So who has time for coffee and tea when you have a one-hour meeting? But you guys figured it out. I'm really impressed. I'm really, really, I'm really, really impressed. I love the level of service that, that I see at this meeting, because... Service truly is its own reward, and I found that in the very beginning of coming to the program. I never raised my hand to, do, to volunteer for anything because I was raised with a philosophy of, it's all about me. <laughs> it's all about me. So I grew up to be a narcissist, and I did a really good job of it. <laughs> I fight it all the time. It's not all about me. It's all about giving. And that's what this program is about. It's about giving. And people in this program taught me how to give unconditionally. Absolutely unconditionally, without any expectation, no strings attached. I made phone calls. I've used this program to the hilt. When they said one of our, the very first, the beginning of the tools, the very first edition that I heard included phone calls. And that was, I never had a heavy hand. Picking up the phone is like, my, I'm glued to the phone. I'm still glued to the phone. I'm probably, I, I think, qualifies in the very needy category. And that's really never gone away. It's just changed quite a bit. It's changed dramatically. But in that very first meeting, I was going to leave at the break because it was just so strange. I mean, okay, like, really? I was living in Burbank, and Burbank was not, like, cool. It wasn't called the Media District. It had everyone thought I'd landed in Kansas City. It was like, where am I? And, and so I kind of toddled out to the car, and this woman followed me to my car. And this is really a reminder for me and perhaps to you as well how important it is to reach out to, to people that are here for the very first time. And she came out to my car and she said to me the only words that really made any difference to me that I understood at the time. And that was, if you want to lose your weight, you can do it here. And that I knew was the truth for me. I came to lose my weight. And it was beyond my wildest dreams that it was a possibility. I had this picture of myself. I was working for the Park and Recreation Department. My bachelor's degree is in Park and Rec- it's now called the Park and Recreation Leisure Studies Department at CSUN. <laughs> I'm on the alumni board, and we had our scholarship dinner a week ago, and the girl that was sitting next to me at our table, a member of our program, but I didn't say anything. Um, anyway, <laughs> she was in the Park and Recreation Leisure Studies Department. I went, oh, it was just called the Park and Recreation Department when I was here, like 40 years ago plus. And... And so that, that was my, uh, my first job was in, in the city of Burbank in the park and rec department. And I didn't get that department either because I came to work looking like this. 
and everyone else had shorts on. I was a bigger version of this, obviously. I, I, <laughs> when I started that job, I had just returned a few months before. I spent a year in Europe traveling when I got out of college. And part of that journey was a lot of misery. I had lost my weight right before graduating because I had this idea in my head. You know, it's all about how you look. Don't you know that? It's, it's an outside job. It doesn't matter what you feel. Net, what your values are, what your character is, it's all about how you look. That's what I was grown, I, I grew up in a house that told me that. And make sure you compare yourself to everyone else on the block. That's number one. So, to, before I graduated college, I knew I had to lose my weight, so I put myself on this rigorous diet. And I succeeded at it. And there I went off to my first stop was London, and I'd lost at that point. 55 pounds, I think that was at that point I'd gotten down a little before going on the diet and I lost 55 pounds and said goodbye to my friends and my family and I said I'll see you in three or four months because my parents gave me a one year round trip ticket. They didn't know I was going to be gone for a year. (laughs) I didn't either. But what happened was within a short period of time of landing in London, I started obsessing about food and my first stop was to stay at a youth hostel. And this youth hostel had cornflakes, I think, for breakfast, and and juice, and an egg, and a piece of toast, or something like that. And I didn't know what normal eating was, so I thought, okay, I'll have this for breakfast. But I didn't know what to do the rest of the day, because I spent, from the age of 15 to 23 when I graduated, basically on a diet. I was either binging and gaining weight or dieting and losing it and then gaining more when I went on the next diet. So I really had no clue other than how to be on a diet or to gain weight. So within 10 days, I was really, really obsessed with food again. And in that year of traveling, I had a lot of amazing adventures and a lot of eating. Memories of sitting on the street corner in Paris and just binging my brains out with the white bags next to me and thinking like, God, you know, the... The junk I'm eating here is so much better than at home. Why do I bother eating there? <laughs> oh, my God. But finally, I had to come home because my ticket was going to expire. And um, there I was in uh, Ireland, which wasn't even on my list. But I was going to either fly home or swim over the Atlantic, and that wasn't going to work either. So I came home, and then I got this job. And... I started eating out of control again. I went on a couple of diets in that one year, and here I was at home. And I really didn't feel again thinking that everything was on the outside, that no one even wanted to see me. I thought my friends would would be very judgmental like I was of myself, that what happened to you? You left thin, now you're fat, la, la, la. And no one said that. They were happy to see me. They wanted to hear, like, you're gone a year. What happened? Tell us about it. So that was my thinking. And coming to this program, I learned how to think differently. I found out that it was really an inside job. And one of the tools that I use, and I have used throughout my my OA career, which P.S. is a lifetime career. There's no graduation here. I've been here a long time, and I have no plans and never have thought for one second that it's time to go now. I've got this thing licked. I'm fine. I still, I, I eat three meals a day and nothing in between. I've done that from, really, I had two, I broke my abstinence twice 
at the very beginning of my first six months and then I hit bottom. I hit bottom in such a big way that I wanted to, to kill myself. And the last binge that I went on was in a borrowed car. I've always gone to any and every length to eat. And I've got all stories traveling around the world doing that on that one year. And I didn't believe, by the way, that I could travel and, and be abstinent. And, you know, that was, I love travel. And the further away, the better. <laughs> and I don't speak the language, I'm even happier. <laughs> and I didn't think it was possible. I really, I, I look back at my, my history and went, I couldn't do it. I never did do it. I always gained weight. It's not possible. And so I've been able to test a lot of my old ideas, and which is really what this program is so much about for me, is re-examining my thinking and I can't do it by myself because this is what's doing all the thinking so I need someone on the outside of this head to point things out to me and to show me what my misguided thoughts are and to look at the illusions that I have about myself and about life and to correct my course so that I can get back on the path and get back with God and how do I do that there's I have a, pro, a spiritual program that has developed over, over many years, and I do it no matter what. Even if I have, like this morning, I woke up late, and I had the car wash guy there, and I said, you've got to be here by 7.30 because I have to leave. And I woke up, he was still washing cars, but I got out, I got here, and I got here on time. And I only got one-minute meditation with my dog, Logan. And we sat there and meditated together, but I still wrote my letter to God, and I still opened up the big book, and I still shut my eyes, and I was able to get on my knees before that, and to say a couple of prayers, and to turn my will and my life over to, to God as I understand Him. That was the short version. That's the short version. I usually do a longer version of that, but it wasn't like that today, and that's absolutely okay. But a spiritual way of life is what this is all about. The solution is spiritual and only that. I had to stop eating to discover that. I couldn't do it like as a teenager I was a voracious reader of spiritual material. It did not do anything for, to help me stop eating. All of the self-help. I started in therapy when I was 16 years old because my first diet was at I was almost 16 and I went down below 100 pounds and I was eating just about 200 calories a day. And the doctor, my mother is taking me to see this doctor once a week to monitor my progress. And he was threatening me with hospitalization and tubes down my throat to force feed me and all kinds of icky stuff. And nothing could make me start eating again until he said, I'm going to Europe with my family. I'll be back in six weeks. And he told my mother to take her out and get her a, give her, get her a good meal. And she did. And I went, she, she, she took me to a smorgasbord and I ate three plates. And the plates were smaller in the 60s. They're not like this. Or, but it was like a mountain. I made these mountain ranges of food. And I had three plates. And then she, she was like horrified. Like, what are you doing? And I was going from like 200 or 300 calories a day to really my normal state of being, which is binging. Because without this program, that's what I would be doing if I was still alive. And at the end of the meal, she said, what would you like to do now? Thinking, I, w I want to go home and lay down. I'm feeling kind of sick. I didn't say that. I said, let's go to see his candy. <laughs> and we did. And so I'm so grateful that that's not the way I live today, that that's not the way I think today. 
But it, it does start with abstinence number number one. No matter what, no matter what, my decision every day, it's still on my to-do list. I've been writing to-do lists for many, many years. Number one, abstinence. Before everything is abstinence because everything else follows after that. I just have a few minutes left. I'm going to bring you up to date on my life. I'm living a dream. I'm living in a dream because of this program. I'm living in a dream because of the steps. I'm living in a dream because of what I've been given from all of you. I'm living in a dream because of the unconditional love that I've received in this program. I'm living in a dream because there's no limit on the number of phone calls that I can make and direction that I can get and spiritual help and guidance that I can get. I'm living in a dream because I've been humbled. I've been humbled by this disease, how powerful it is and what it did to me and how I wanted to die every day, how I felt so dead. I'm getting emotional. At such a young age, I came here and I felt like I was dead. And it wasn't about the way I looked. It was because of what the disease did to me, to my heart, to my spirit, to my soul, that I was crawling through life. The college degree didn't matter. The job didn't matter. Thank you. Nothing on the outside mattered. And what this program gave me was a a way to live with peace and serenity and learning how to love myself from the inside out and learning how to accept myself. I came at 180 pounds to the program. I wasn't my very, very top weight. And I was able to accept myself at 180 pounds and say, I'm okay, I'm enough. And you know what that did for me? It allowed me to move forward. It allowed me, that self-acceptance allowed me to start living one day at a time without a thought of having a weight goal. I threw that out the window. That didn't matter anymore. All that mattered was doing the do today. That's all that mattered. Just eat three meals. And I, I treasured feeling hungry. It was like, wow, what an experience. People, other people feel hunger. I never, I didn't feel hungry. I didn't know what it was. I got to feel hunger. I got to, to learn about, more about self-discipline. Okay, there was self-discipline in going through college and starting a career and doing other things. But the self-discipline for me of eating three meals a day and nothing in between and calling my sponsor every day and making a phone call to her if I was going to change anything first and working the steps and looking at myself and sharing with others and being humbled by who I am as a human being, which is never acceptable, that I'm just like everyone else and I've got flaws and I've got character defects and a character defect is not a bad thing. It just represents my humility and my humanness as a person that I'm like everyone else. I'm not better. I'm not less than. I'm standing here on equal ground with everyone in this room. We're all compulsive overeaters, I think. And (laughs) so everyone can go up. And we all have an equal chance for an amazing, beautiful life without the pain and the struggle of, what am I going to eat today? Oh, my God, I did it again. I have to start over. We don't have to do that anymore once we get the surrender, the total surrender. And I'm going to end with this. And this comes out of the big book, out of Bill's story. And I have two sponsors. And one sponsor said to me that I needed to start reading different things. So I just opened up the book. And this is Bill's story. And this came after he humbly 
offered himself to God and basically did his, faced all of his sins. I'm going to read the passages that follow that. I was to test my thinking by the new God consciousness within. Common sense would thus become uncommon sense. I was to sit quietly when in doubt, asking only for direction and strength to meet my problems as he would have me. Never was I to pray for myself, except as my request bore upon my usefulness to others. Then and only then might I expect to receive. But that would be in great measure. And I'm going to skip forward. Simple but not easy. A price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn to all things, all things to the Father of Light who presides over us all. And this is where I get my answers, you guys. I get it in this book. I get it right here. And as I open the book up, just randomly, it always speaks to me. Just like when I first found a table of literature in 1975, we had a little black book. I had this book. I had the 12 and 12. We didn't have any OA books at that time. That came later. And then there was a little 24-hour day book. And I'm like from Kansas, even though I'm really from Los Angeles. And I doubt everything. And so someone said, get that book. And I said, why? Because it has something to say to you every day. And I said, that's crazy. How would it know anything about me on October 24th, 1975? How ridiculous is that? Is it following me around? No. So I opened the book up. And it spoke to my heart. It absolutely spoke to my heart. And so our literature is such an important, I don't call it a tool. I really feel it's a necessity. I need to change my thinking. And this program gives me an, an opportunity to do that on a daily basis as long as I have an open mind. And I'm so grateful to be here with all of you and share with you and hear from you. And I'm done. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay. So, the room is open for questions. Yes. Um, how did you, when, when you're in the dark of how do you, what tools do you use to change that? The question is when I'm in a dark place, what do I change in terms of. As you call, what, what tools have you use? Very often I make a phone call, depending on how dark, how dark the darkness is. Um, very often I'll call, call my sponsor. Um, to get direction. I've had some experiences in the last, uh, it's probably the last few years actually, that have intensified with uh, my mother who has, uh, very elderly, 93, has uh, just early stage dementia, paranoia, delusions, um, and is not, is living in a now a memory care place and loves to take the uh, ambulance. Um, three or four times a month um, if she can help it and more if she's let you know if they don't stop her and um, which they don't do there 
So uh, that requires me to stop my day. Um, I have a companion I hired for her, but she's not always there at the time. My mother has uh, one of her little episodes of falling and other things. And I just have to put one foot in front of the other. That's what I do. I put one foot in front of the other. I pound my head. I, 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 the truth is I go to anger. It's like, again. And I just, I'm human. You know, I just go through the experience. But I don't eat no matter what. That doesn't ever enter my mind. Um, I probably, you know, the, tool, the phone, phone is always handy. Um, very often I don't pick it up. I just do the, the next apparent thing that I need to do. But it depends on what category it's in. So that's the mother category, which is the most extreme. Um, <laughs> always has been, but not at this level. Um, and in, in terms of other, could you be more specific? Does that answer your question? Okay. Anybody else? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that has really evolved. Um, I was really very resistant to this go- the God concept. And, you know, I'm a flower child from the 60s, so we were very cool. And, you know, people we used to do come by out and hold hands and do weird stuff like that. And so when I came into the program, the, the meeting ended with... The first meeting, I thought, well, I can hold hands with everybody. I don't know what this prayer is, but I'll do that. But I did it really like one step at a time. And I didn't, my first concept of, of a higher God was really a higher power, which I called HP. And my, going back one step before that, I, I realized one thing, that um, the sun didn't rise because of Barbara. <laughs> The tides in the ocean did ha- had nothing to do with me. I had nothing to do with putting the beautiful mountains. And I had nothing to do with natural beauty in the planet. And everything that I saw when I opened up my eyes had nothing to do with me. So I came to believe really quickly at that point there was a power greater than myself, and I, I, which I chose to call my HP. And so it really took, it took some time to really develop uh, the concept of God that I have now. And the God I have now is really loving, much more loving than I am to myself. And so I turn to God through writing very often. And that may answer your question as well. I turn to God through writing. I write every day in the morning and sometimes at night. And I find God through my writing. And God answers me. Whether I ask a question or not, <laughs> sometimes he answers me. And, and sometimes I don't listen. And sometimes the answers are really loud and clear, and it's like, no, don't do that. And I do it anyway. And then I, what did I, wasn't I listening? Um, no, I wasn't. And what comes from that is learning a lesson. That, you know, God speaks to me through my heart. He speaks to me through other people. He speaks to me through the trees and through the clouds in the sky and we were in Napa last week at, at this ranch, and there were chickens. We got to, I, I got to get eggs, like the pop, the pop right out of the chicken, and there they were, sitting on this little shelf. Yeah. I never had that experience, and I, I talked to the chickens. I thanked them. <laughs> I never got to do this before. Thank you. And they're well, clucking around in this little cage. And um, so I get to see God everywhere. And sometimes I have to be reminded by my sponsor, like, where is God? 
And sometimes I don't know. It's like she's, she'll say, like, look at the clouds. There is God. And two weeks ago, right before we went on this last little vacation, I was like, Ugh, I couldn't take it anymore because of how my day is so interrupted. I, have, I own a business. It's very challenging. And what I, did, I, I woke up in the morning and I got this voice in my head after my meditation was, go to the ocean. What? I, gotta, I need to go to my office on Ventura Boulevard. I need to go to work. No. Go to the, and I, I told my, my husband was kind of worried. <laughs> What's happening to her? I got the dog. We got in the car. And I went to the ocean. That was a first. I never did that. But I, I, that's what I was told to do. And it completely changed my day. I was still perky at 11 o'clock at night. It just totally changed my whole being by doing that and listening to what that voice told me. Okay. Anyone else? Yeah. Adam? Um, were there any steps that were particularly stubborn for you or you were stubborn about that you know, gave you a lot of Everything after three. <laughs> <laughs> The inventory in the beginning was really hard, even though I was a voracious writer. I, I'm really stuck on doing things perfectly, and so I didn't think that I could do it right. So I kept starting and restarting the inventory using different methods. And I got so, I was like up to here with it after a year of writing, and I said to my sponsor, can I just bring all my writing over and we'll call it a fourth step? And she was very cool. She said, sure. So she didn't know that that would mean we'd be sitting there all day because literally had like a grocery bag full of writing. Nobody could keep up with me. I mean, when I say I'm needy, you have no idea. So even though I was reading to my sponsor on a regular basis, actually not as frequently as now, which is four days a week, um, nobody could keep up with it. So I brought it all over. It was 10 steps. It was pieces of inventory out of the book, out of... you know, the, the AA Big Book and the 12 and 12, and that, that was really tough. But, you know, the tough thing is you know, humility. You know, steps six and seven are, are, are kind of tough. And I, I will start my writing with, oh, God, I don't want them to hear this. Ah, this is me. I can't take it. I don't want anyone to know. And um, then I move on. Yes? Oh, yeah, I've got a lot of opinions. We should talk after the meeting. (laughs) I really do. (laughs) But I'm still here. And I've never thought about going to any of the other things that have kind of all these different programs that are OA lookalikes that are more rigid or then more rigid and then super, super rigid. This is it. I never had to go anywhere else. Please repeat the questions after they're asked. Oh, okay. The question was, have you... What was your question? (laughs) Any opinion, reservations about how OE has changed? Yeah, tons, um, but I'm still here. (laughs) Yes? Do you remember what your first impulse or what you did when food was calling to you? I ate. I ate. Um, Because food stopped calling to me December 1st, uh, 1975. I'm I'm really, really blessed. Um, It did call once when I was in Portugal. (laughs) 
Honestly, no, I was on, I remember that uh, trip in 1980, and I didn't do anything. I ate more bread because I was allowing myself to eat bread at a meal, and it really scared me. And we didn't have cell phones. I couldn't call my sponsor. It was Natalie. And I, I wrote a postcard to her, and I said, I'm really nervous, and this is what I, I, I ate more than I wanted to, and I'm not going to do this again. And I just put it in the mail, and off it went. But I, I'm really, really, really blessed. I was blessed with willingness and blessed with I eat three meals a day and nothing in between, and the food doesn't talk to me. I couldn't, I, I couldn't fight it. I couldn't fight it. Thank you, Barbara. In addition to your three meals a day, are there foods on your abstinence list, foods that you need to abstain from? No. I eat, um, I'm a moderate mealer now, um, which shocked me. It happened after about 30 years. <laughs> and it, I, I had no goal of, of being a moderate mealer. I, I really could care less. Um, uh, it really, it just happened. Um, it wasn't anything I ever aspired to. It just sort of evolved. Yeah. Thank you for your uh, wonderful share. Um, you mentioned your husband and that you travel together. Is he a normie or is he, uh, like, is there a, a challenge where, like, he's not a normie and there's stuff in the house that you would rather not be there or is he just a normie? He's a normie and I make stuff and I'm a moderate mealer. So I, I can, I, honestly, I eat anything, um, which is hard to say in a way meeting, but I eat moderately and I keep my weight down. This is what it is. It's been this way for many decades. And um, and he's a normie. Thank God. He doesn't have my head. I'm so grateful. Oh, my God. <laughs> I couldn't take two of us in the house. It would be really tough. Really be tough. Yeah. How do you work with sponsees who are struggling with body obsession and dwelling on those two pounds? Um, it's hard. Um, you know, I, honestly, I haven't had anyone talk to me about that. Um, oh, five minutes. But every, we go back, with, no matter what the problem is, it's always the steps. It's always, I always lead people, to, like, I am led and what I do is I write. So to always, the answer is always in writing and in inventory. That's where all the answers are. I have to look within, and that's the same. The body image, that's an outside issue, uh, because it's not spiritual. So once I accepted the fact that I was a compulsive overeater, my body image issue primarily changed. Now I've got aging issues. <laughs> like, what's happening now? Oh my God, I'm such a good girl. <laughs> That's true. Oh, that's a whole other thing. Steps. Steps is the answer for everything. Yes? It was really a struggle. It was really a struggle. Once I went on that, that first diet, and I was actually um, diagnosed anorexic for about 
until the doctor got back from his trip to Europe, and then he saw that I was 26 pounds heavier. Um, so I don't know if he crossed it off in my medical record or not, but it really didn't apply to me. But it was really, really a struggle. And I would do things where I would like go on a you know, binge for a few days and I'd stop eating. I would eat nothing for like three or four days at a time. And it, it just, it really was really, really painful. I just didn't know what to do with myself. I went on exercise binges. Um, I would just run around. We lived near Encino, um, Balboa Park in Encino. And I would just do rounds around the park again and again and again. And I didn't find any kind of solution or peace until I came to the program with that. Yeah. Thank you very much. Could you speak about your process uh, doing steps eight and nine? Ah, making amends. Yeah. That, you know, a lot of it comes kind of naturally to me now, but in the beginning, my first two years, I had a boss that we were like at loggerheads. It was my first job out of college, and we were both the same age, and she got actually a promotion that I didn't get, and my ego was, was pretty upset about it. And... So she continued, we worked together in the same department, and then she became, she became my boss, and it was a really a big struggle. Then they gave me a department, a brand new department to manage, and there was additional oversight with her. And I, I, I ended up leaving the, the job, and because of the conflict, it was just too much for me. And Within a couple of, I don't know if it was a couple of weeks or a couple of months, um, I was directed to write an, a job inventory. And I, I had thought that I had this really pristine job record. I was only 25, 26 or something at the time. And I had all these, you know, fast food jobs. And I wrote everything down, like when I was a teenager, all the little jobs I had. And how many times I had quit and why. And then I got to the current situation. And I was led to making amends to this person that I really had such difficulty with. So I called her up and I asked her to go out to coffee with me. And the most amazing thing happened, and that was that she made, she wasn't in the program as far as I know, but she made amends to me. And she told me that after I left the department, that she recognized that she wasn't the right person. Things don't always go this way, by the way. This is like really perfect, really unbelievable. And she quit. And she was only going to be on the job one more month. And she had applied for graduate school and was moving to Washington State. That was like a really perfect situation. Doesn't go like that all the time. <laughs> Not everybody is, is receptive, but... It's generally um, a really good experience. But after I've gone and I've done all the other steps, I'm ready for that. It hasn't been that difficult. That's not true. Sometimes it's really hard. <laughs> it's going to be really hard. In fact, it was always really hard. That was really hard. I've got to stop. Time's up. But it worked out. Thank you.